Welcome back to In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. This show is an open discussion of the people, ideas, and methods behind commercial real estate. I'm your host, Paul Eaton. Our guest today is Jeff Lehrman. Jeff is an attorney, co-founder, and managing partner at Lehrman Law Partners. Jeff, thank you so much today for coming on the uh, this episode. My pleasure. What is your path that you've taken into real estate? Well, you know, I got started in real estate when my wife sent my law profile to a real estate firm without asking my permission. And at that time, I had no prior experience. This was when I was about, I don't know, three, four years out of law school. And I had one meeting with the law firm and I got a phone call from the firm's top lawyer who had his own real estate company with a billion dollar portfolio. And he said, uh, I, uh, I heard you had a meeting with uh, my old partner, and uh, but I have a real estate company. I left the firm a while ago and I need a general counsel. And I'm wondering if you'd like to interview for that. And I said, well, you know, I don't have any real estate experience to speak of. And he said, that's okay. Let's just meet. And we did. And I got the job. And that was actually the real beginning of my real estate career. And I think uh, the takeaway for there for your clients is don't assume you need experience before you get into real estate investing because you got to start somewhere, right? And actually, when it comes to real estate, it takes a little bit of time, but you can actually get into it, obviously, quicker than you think. And there's so many different avenues and so many, so many different ways to get information. I mean, podcasts, is, with all the podcasts going on right now, there's amazing information in podcasts, but you know, all, all other places as well. So for your listeners, if this is the first time you're even putting your toe in the water, welcome to the world and uh, you, you can do it. But yeah, from that, we moved up from Los Angeles up to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, about 27 years ago. And at that point, we opened our own firm, my wife and I. My wife is a, a lawyer as well. She, she does estate planning and I do real estate and uh, real estate, both uh, transactional and litigation. And that's how we really jumped into it and got into it in a big way. And we don't advertise. Most of what we do to get the word out there is we teach. We teach in webinars, in seminars, in going to real estate groups. So that's been our path. When a new team member comes on our team, I have a Spotify podcast list and it's about real estate and uh, about 80 hours worth. And when they finish that, they know quite a bit. And it's, you know, sure. it's an easy way to do that because they can do that while they're driving or, you know, doing other things. So it's, it's, it's a, a great resource for people trying to learn about real estate sure. or almost any subject. So in my opinion, an attorney is one of the most important person on a deal team. I may be biased. I briefly practiced law years ago. Mm. How do you find- You're smart then. You got, it, you got out of it. Wow. I don't, maybe I wasn't good enough <laughs> to move on to something else. How do you find and evaluate an attorney for real estate acquisitions? You just have to talk to them about how long have they been doing it, how much of their practice is devoted to real estate, because there are a lot of people out there, a lot of lawyers out there who do that and a bunch of other things. I believe it's always going to be better if you're working with somebody who is just really niched and focused on one particular area. And so, and then I just ask them questions. Now, to the extent that your question is uh, for the benefit of the listeners and the listeners may not know what questions to ask, you know, I think at that point, 
you got to first of all, you don't you shouldn't go necessarily with the first person, with the first lawyer that the candidate that you're thinking of. You should have talked to at least two, maybe three, especially if you've never done it before. And yeah, just ask them whatever questions. And then if you don't know what questions to ask, just I would tell them I am uh, uh, getting just getting started on this. What questions should I be asking you that I haven't? And I uh, get that because, you know, if um, hopefully they will give you the answer. And the other thing is that if you, again, don't have the experience to know what questions to ask, there are so many places on the Internet to just find out what questions you need to ask for a lawyer. So there's a lot of different ways, even if you've never done this before. So one way or another, you can get the answers. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I would look out for is that they don't spread themselves out over a number of areas. They don't do criminal law and family law and corporate. I think you made a very, very good point. You generally want someone who spends a lot of time doing the area you're asking, whether it's real estate or whatever you're asking them to do. It's very, very important. Well, and the other thing is I would ask them, do you have any webinars, seminars that I can look at uh, so I can get some idea of more, a better idea of what you do and all that? Because we have a lot of those on our website and anybody who comes to us will always say here, I, I even actually email them, obviously at no charge, a webinar on this. If, if it happens to be the thing that we're talking about now, I just send them over a webinar I, I did on. I say, look, this is about an hour long and it's long. But if you're calling to ask me to help you with your uh, whatever syndication or joint venture, this will be a great way for you to save money and spend an hour watching my video and then let's talk. And so that's another great way to try to make sure that the lawyer you're about to hire really, number one, knows what they're doing, but also can explain it. Because so many lawyers, especially in this area, get caught up in the legalese and lose the client who isn't a lawyer. And so I do believe that one of the things that I am pretty good at is taking the complicated and making it understandable and simple. And and there are very few topics that have as much complication as syndication and joint ventures. So that is that it comes in handy. I would also say that often people tend to either think of the attorney toward the end of the process or at least as late as possible. And I, they also think that all attorneys are the same and the attorney is not that important. And let me assure anyone who's listening, that is very much wrong. Yeah, I have dealt with skilled attorneys and I have dealt with those who are not as skilled and it makes a big difference and it's very important to find the right attorney for you. So, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like anything else, it is important to distinguish yourself from anybody else. And so in that regard, I am an unusual lawyer. I am the real estate investor's lawyer and I'm also a real estate investor. And why is that important? Because many years ago, I asked my clients why they wanted to work with me and why do they continue to use me? And the most common response I got was, since you're an investor like us, we don't have to explain our business to you. And we appreciate that you use your real estate investing and business experience to create more innovative and creative solutions to address our problems. And if you look at the many testimonials on our website, you can see variations of those themes in the reviews. And I help investors nationwide with their transactions, including everything from entity formation, syndication, joint ventures, purchase and sale agreements, loan docs, 
construction agreements, commercial leases, and virtually everything that real estate investors need. And we also help California investors with their litigation. But, you know, that is what sets us apart. And while I did mention, I rattled off a number of different areas that we're involved with, they're all in the, uh, in the real estate area. Let's talk about joint ventures. We hear a lot about syndications, but less so about joint ventures. What is a joint venture and what is the difference between a joint venture and a syndication? Very good. And I got to say right before I jump into that, since I'm a lawyer, I'm just going to say that this podcast is offered with the understanding that neither I nor Lerman Law Partners is offering you legal advice and we have no attorney-client relationship with you solely by your receipt of this information. Any actions with regard to this information in this podcast should be undertaken only by the advice and counsel of competent legal tax and estate planning professionals. Sorry about that. Sorry to be a lawyer on you there, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Got to be said. Yeah. Okay. So joint ventures. I'm going to answer that. But before I do, I want to, if you don't mind, explain why I'm doing this podcast. I am passionate about this topic because I truly believe what I'm going to discuss will give Uh, real estate investors, the greatest value I can possibly give. And let me explain why. I teach a private money boot camp at one of the best real estate investment companies in the United States. And at one point, I explained to them the securities exchange laws when you are trying to get investors and the penalties if you fail to follow those rules. And those penalties can be very onerous, including requiring you to return all investors their money and even prison time. And there are no do-overs if you violate the SEC laws. And invariably at the break, one of the students comes up to me and says, I need investors now. My earnest money has gone hard. And if I don't get investors, I'll lose that earnest money. But those SEC rules will make it really difficult for me to get those investors in time. What do I do now? And so since this happened so often, and I was very empathetic with these people who came to this private money boot camp specifically for the purpose of trying to find investors for their deal, only to learn that they can't do it because they have already, if they do, they will be violating securities laws. And so for all of your listeners on this, this is the time when you should be understanding these issues before you really need it, when you've already put your earnest money down and now you're just, uh, the clock is ticking for you to get investors. So, but what's a joint venture? A joint venture is, and this is the explanation I'm going to give you, is different from the, if you go and look it up in a book, this is how it works in this particular context. A joint venture is the coming together of two or more parties with a common business purpose. And for purposes of real estate deals, all of the JV partners need to be, and this is in quotes, actively engaged, actively engaged and have sufficient experience in real estate so that they know what they're getting themselves into. So let me explain a little bit more what actively engaged means because those words, if you don't know, then you don't understand. Actively engaged, it's not enough just to give money. Uh, That's a passive investor and that requires a syndication. But when it comes to actively engaged, it means that you actually have to be actively involved in the deal. And the best way that I can really explain it so that you can understand it is to tell you a quick story here. I did a joint venture with four people a number of years ago to build a residential subdivision real estate complex. Four people. We were all in in different states. And one of them was the guy who found the deal and got the loan. And one of them was a real estate 
agent who is going to be involved in the design and the sale of the final product. And one was the developer who was going to be doing uh, the primarily uh, the development work. And there was me. I brought the money to the deal and I also did the legal for the deal. And so that was four of us. But each of us was going to be actively engaged in their own way, as I just explained to you. And as far as the being sophisticated enough to understand what's going on, that's also, I mean, all of those people have been involved in real estate, otherwise they wouldn't be in that room. So that is what actively engaged me. Does that make sense for you? Absolutely. Okay. Because that's a really important point. When it comes right down to it, joint ventures are not a complicated concept. By the way, obviously, people around the country have been doing joint ventures forever. It's just a lot of them have been doing it incorrectly and a lot of them are doing it in a way that doesn't really, it isn't really a joint venture. So in any event, that is in a nutshell what a joint venture is and how it's different from a syndication. Because in a syndication, you're not going to be looking for somebody who's actively engaged and, and uh, that they understand enough about real estate to do it. You're looking for a passive investor, somebody who's just going to give you money. And so there are a lot more differences between a joint venture and securities laws and syndication. But in a nutshell, that's the most important one. And I think one reason that we hear more about syndications than in joint ventures is that there is not a hard limit of people in a joint venture, but there is a natural numerical limit because you have to be engaged in the venture. And so if you raise money from dozens of people and you are land banking a parcel, you know, it's hard to see how two or three dozen people could be actively involved in a land bank. That's exactly right. And that is the example I always give when this topic comes up. People ask, well, what about if you have a, what if you have a bigger deal? You know, uh, how many people can be actively engaged in a deal? And the, the example you just mentioned is, is the example I always give because it's the, obviously the one where there's as, where, where the least amount to be done other than just buy you know, buy the dirt and, the, and just wait. So yeah, you're right on that. I think also people don't realize that there are some very, very large transactions that use joint ventures. Absolutely. I can yeah, tell you that very large. we have done major, major deals with one joint venture partner. And uh, so they're out there. You know, a lot of family offices are out there and they're looking for deals and, and but just, you know, other people, you know, that uh, you're going to run into. So, yeah. That presupposes right. that you have someone, if it's a large deal, you know, an ultra high worth individual, a family office, institution that will be involved on these large deals necessarily. So, joint ventures oh, are- Which, by the way, if you go to any one of the real estate investing groups, some are better than others. If you go to one of the better ones, you're going to find people that, I mean, I, I was, one of the reasons I like to go and teach at these groups is because as a lawyer, I don't have time to spend, to look at a hundred deals to find the one that actually makes sense. And so one of the reasons I like to go to these groups, not only to teach, but also to meet everybody is I'm looking for my next joint venture partner. Mm. And I found one at uh, one of those groups. And, um, so we did a joint venture and, uh, she found the deal. I brought the money. I, I didn't bring all the money, but most of it. But 
Yeah. I mean, all it took was one person and it was a multifamily deal. So those people are out there. But again, you got to be mindful that there are some, some groups are better than others. In general, how would you compare the complexity of a joint venture to a syndication? A joint venture, that's one of the benefits. Actually, a joint venture is a lot easier to understand than uh, syndication. When somebody comes to me for, to do a syndication, the first thing I have to do is spend a certain amount of time explaining the stuff they absolutely have to know. But I guarantee you, when you hear all that for the first time, it's not like you're going to understand it now that you've heard it because it's complicated. And then there's a lot there. And there's, you know, so most of the joint ventures are done with an LLC. And so that is an LLC is a much less expensive, less expensive document than if I am going to put together a PPM for a client and it's less expensive, it's shorter, it's easier to understand and on and on and on. So yeah, th that's the main difference. What are four or five terms or issues when you're putting together a joint venture to be aware of? Let me answer that this way. I think that, again, even though I, I use syndications on some of my deals, and sometimes I will do a syndication and a joint venture in the same deal. And we can talk about when I do that later if we have time. But so I, and as a lawyer, syndications are going to be more expensive for the client than a joint venture. But Notwithstanding that, I tell my clients, look, I can do your syndication that you came to me asking about, but my plan A, my first choice when I'm doing a deal is to use a joint venture instead of a syndication. And I tell them it because in, in my opinion, it's the cheapest, easiest, fastest, and safest way to get deals done. And so to answer your question, let me explain why I say that because it's really important when somebody's trying to understand this topic. So cheapest. I say cheapest because first, JVs cost a fraction of the amount that you're going to require to do a syndication. Second, you don't have to put so much of your own money in your deals. Too many investors are using their own money to buy real estate. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think that if you do that, you're missing out on so many opportunities. And the best way I can explain that, I was having a conversation with somebody at one of these companies, the real estate where I was doing the private money boot camp, And we were talking about this exact question. And, and he was telling me that he's got all his real estate is in his, that he, he has everything. He doesn't have any investors in his deal. And I explained everything that we're talking about to him and why he should be considering at least doing a joint venture. And uh, after that, he his eyes lit up and he actually, after the event, he sent a testimonial to us and he said, quote, I had the opportunity to discuss our real estate holdings with Jeff Lerman in Boston, where he was a special guest speaker at a business event. In just a few brief moments, Jeff was able to assess my business model and open my eyes to the extraordinary use and leverage of joint venture partnerships. I never would have imagined establishing the structures Jeff was able to explain in easy to understand language and to create the potential for growth beyond our imagination within our grasp. It was right in front of us and never even knew it was there. And they had some nice other words. But this is, it's not complicated, but it can be really extraordinary to what it does to your mindset. So that's why, first of all, I think they are the cheapest, the cheapest way to get deals done. Easiest, think about it. When it comes to doing deals, there is so much to do. 
You got to sift through dozens of deals to find one, analyze the deal, do the due diligence, find the loan, deal with the lender, find the money, manage the asset, manage the manager, sell the property, all that. And that's just the stuff I can think of off the top of my head. And if you have, if you're doing it all yourself, it's intimidating and it is difficult to really do a lot of deals. But if you have one or more partners involved, it makes it so much easier to get it all done. So if you're doing it with a good joint venture partner, I think it's going to become a lot easier for you to build your portfolio. Fastest, I say fastest because you don't have to wait until your current deals are sold before you can buy more real estate if you're not putting all your money in the deals. And safest, safest because first, you're not at risk of violating securities laws because if you do it correctly, the securities laws don't apply. It's, it's not a security. Second, with joint ventures, you can diversify your real estate more. You can diversify by asset class, geography, and risk. And if you're still not convinced, let me read you this short excerpt uh, from an article in the Wall Street Journal. Quote, a growing player in the real estate market is the so-called family office in which an ultra high net worth family uh, joins with another wealthy family to buy investment property. Okay, so these are people, they're writing an article about family offices and why they are using joint ventures. They say, despite having ample cash, so they're not doing it because they need the money, Despite having ample cash, these families are looking for partnerships in order to lessen their exposure to risk. If real estate values were to tank, for instance, losses would be spread out over at least two parties rather than one family incurring the entire hit. Some family offices with expertise in housing look for partners that have built their wealth in other sectors. Others seek out real estate investors with a similar background in order to combine their expertise. Partnering up can help a family office get regional diversification. That way, if a market tank takes a turn locally, the families still have rental income from other locations. So that is what the Wall Street Journal wrote for people who don't do it for the money. They do it because it enables you to diversify by asset class, geography, and risk. So, but I got to tell you, even after I tell you all of those, the best part, in my opinion, is that when you have a good joint venture partner, they become a partner for future deals that they find. Most of the deals that we have done have been because our joint venture partner found the deal. And if you are expecting to get your investors through a syndication, you're not going to ask the potential investor what they think of your deal. You're gonna tell them what they should think of your deal because why it's such a great deal, why you want them to go into the deal. But I gotta tell you, if you're in real estate, at some point, maybe every deal, you're always going to question, is this really a good enough deal for me? And you're, there's always that uncertainty. And to have somebody who is gonna be a joint venture partner, who's got experience and who's gonna be actively engaged and is going to put their money where their mouth is, it's great to have that other person that you can talk to and say, look, I think this deal's pretty good. But, you know, right now the economy is going in the wrong direction and I'm not sure if it's right now and I'm not sure, whatever. What do you think? And I have had clients who were in that position and they came to me and said, what should I do? And I said, what I'm about to tell you and your, and your listeners is if you're not sure, find somebody who is a real estate investor who is interested in investing in a deal and pitch your deal to them and ask them, what do you think about the deal? And if they say, I like it, then you'll feel better about it. Or if they say, I don't like it, then you can deal with that. But 
you know, one of the big parts about this business is to understand what your risk tolerance level is. And as a lawyer, my risk tolerance level at the beginning was very low because as a lawyer, that's just my nature. I always think of what could go wrong, right? But uh, over the years, as I've worked with more joint venture partners, my risk tolerance level has gone up and I'm willing to take more risk. And I think, and that has helped me in my career. So that for everything else, that possibly is the best reason that you should consider doing a joint venture and working with somebody who can be another, somebody to bounce it off of, whose opinion you respect. Let's flip the coin and talk about a couple of things to beware about in a joint venture. I'll start and say that it's extraordinarily important to know who you're going to be in this joint venture with to do your due diligence. I think it's incredibly important. I have a lot of war stories about, not, not many, but I've got a couple of, you could really be, cause a problem. Get into a, into a deal with someone who you shouldn't be in the deal with. Any comments about that or any other traps you can think of? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's funny. You're hitting on all the points I wanted to talk anyway. <laughs> so, because we do litigation as well as transactional, we have dealt with a number of disputes between investors. And not because we set up the uh, entity, the, the joint venture for those people ahead of time, somebody else did. They came to us when they had a problem. And so what we do with our, because you're 100% right on, I will tell you this, and I want everybody to pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Every partner dispute that we have litigated could have been avoided if the original contract had been done correctly. The contracts were the reason there were, there were problems with the contract. Either they didn't include information they should have, or they didn't say it right or whatever. And if you do end up in a situation where you're in a, a dispute with your partner, those disputes can get very, very expensive for legal fees. And because, you know, usually if you're in a deal, people on both sides usually have enough money. And so they, you know, they're going to go the, the, the distance and whatnot. So what we do with our clients, if they're going to come to us and want to do a, jo a joint venture, we give them, we have a process that we created where we give each of the parties a memorandum of understanding that has the, what we believe are the most essential deal points in any joint venture agreement. And we put in blanks for the key terms that we want to understand what they're, how they will fill in those blanks. And what we do is we, we tell them, don't do this together. We want you specifically not to discuss this with each other, I want to understand what you, party A, party B, party C, how you would fill in those blanks. And then I want you to send your memorandum of understanding to me, not to each other, because I want to see how close you guys already are on these key points. And then we get together, used to do it in our office since COVID started, we've been doing it in Zoom, but it doesn't make a difference. And we get together and we talk about it. And part of that process is for when something comes up, that is a difference. We talk about it there. And I am part of the reason I'm doing that is that I want to see how they communicate with each other. And if it seems like they are communicating in a way that is 
good or it looks like it's going to be a problem. And there have been times when I've told them, I said, you know what, on this particular point, you guys seem to be at odds. And I think that we've already spent a, a number a, a certain amount of time here. You should continue this conversation and let's discuss it again tomorrow and see how it ends. And so by doing that, we have our objective is, first of all, to make sure we don't go straight into preparing a document without asking them these questions and without going through that process. So we have a better understanding of how they're working together right now. But also we have on occasion told them it doesn't seem like you guys are really number one on the same page, but more importantly, that you are communicating effectively. And I think you might want to reconsider if this is going to be a good deal, because once you're in, you're in and it's going to be very difficult to get out. So that's part of my answer to your question. <laughs> I like the idea of a question here that goes to the attorney. You've had a lot of great comments about joint ventures. I'll talk about maybe predictions that you're seeing in the market. Looking forward over, say, the next 10 years. <laughs> That's tough. We're, yeah, crystal ball time. Where do you see the largest commercial real estate investment opportunities, be it geography, product class, or some other criterion? Yeah, geography, it certainly seems like where you are right now is a, is a hotbed there in yeah. Texas. I'm in Dallas. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a lot of southern states, yep. that's where it's really happening. Right here in California, we can buy deals, but it's a lot harder to find deals that make economic sense in here in California and a lot of other places. So for right now, and it's been that way actually for a while, I think the southern states do seem to get the last couple multifamily deals we did, we did in Tennessee. So the numbers just make more sense there. I mean, you're in California. So as far as multifamily, do you see an uptick in the political risk, regulatory risk in California in the last three or four years? Or Well, you know, you don't even have to go that deep. I mean, California, if you're a landlord, is one of the worst states to invest just based upon that. Again, we've got some properties here, but they're we're doing okay with those. But yeah, I mean, California is great for a lot of reasons. But for real estate investors, unless you're a big company, you're going to, it is good. Every year, there's, a, there's always a couple of different companies that put out, here's what we think are the best areas for whatever it is, multifamily or office or whatever. And it always kind of changes, but, but it does change year to year. But California and other states, like California, maybe New York, it's always harder to find good deals there. You can still find them, mm -hmm. but you're not going to find them just by looking. You're going to find them because you know somebody or somebody fell out or whatever, you get lucky. So I used to think way back when that I didn't want to invest any place that was more than a one hour plane ride from where I lived. And then after flying to Colorado and elsewhere, I said, you know what? Once I'm on a plane, I'm on a plane. Let's not right. let, let's not restrict myself. Let's just say I'll invest anywhere in the United States. I won't invest outside the United States, but yeah, in the United States. Speaking of political risk in California, I just thought of this, but you know, there's an I'd say an unusual real estate property tax uh, regime in California. You know, if you own and you know much more about this than I do, but once you own a, a piece of real estate. There's a limitation of every year of how much the taxes can go up. And then once there's a transaction where a new owner takes control, the real estate taxes are reset right. to the market price, which causes some obvious problems 
in the efficiency of the real estate market due to those real estate taxes being limited. And I thought, speaking of political risk, I thought it was very clever, a recent amendment to the Constitution of California, how they attempted to go around that by bifurcating residential real estate, single family home real estate with commercial real estate. And they tried to remove the limitation for commercial real estate and keep the limitations on the resi, becoming more likely that they would pass that. Now, it didn't pass, but I thought it was a clever solution Mm -hmm. for those who wanted to change the property tax system in California. So, Yeah. Well, it's uh, taxes in California. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, let's talk about, you know, some books that you recommend. Do you have any books that you recommend people reading? Yeah. Well, there is, let's see, I'm trying to remember who the author is. There is a guy out there and I'm blanking on it, unfortunately. But if you Google it, you could probably find it. He wrote a book on syndication. Mm -hmm. And when I first got started in syndication, I read his book and we ended up becoming friends. Again, this goes back a lot of years. So that's a good book. There are books on syndication out there. Let this podcast be a starting point for your education on that because reading a book on it could help. There's another guy who wrote a book, actually the guy that hired me at the very beginning about the story I told beginning. That guy actually wrote the book on syndication and his name is Sam Freshman. He's actually now 91 years old and he's still working. <laughs> this guy. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I think when I started with him, he had a portfolio over a billion dollars and I'm sure it's at least double that now and he's still doing it and he's 91 years old. I'm not sure if he's my idol or if he's a, a warning <laughs> what not to do because <laughs> I don't know that I want to be doing this when I'm 90, if I'm 91 years old. But yeah, check out that. Sam Freshman has a good book on syndication. And let's see other books. You know what? I have not really gotten a lot of great information on this topic from books. I've done it just because I'm a lawyer and I just dug in and, um, and, and read everything I needed to read to do what I do. So those are the only two books I can suggest. How about your own ebook? Yeah. So for all the people who are listening still with us, there is a, uh, I've written a couple of special reports that I would love to give to you as a gift. One is called 17 Steps for Setting Up a Successful Joint Venture, which is a little bit about the thing I mentioned earlier in terms of how we go about it, but that is a very, very small part of this. I wrote this special report after we finished our first litigation for a partner dispute. And I thought, you know what? I got to write all this down, what people need to know when they set up a successful joint venture, because that is really the best thing that you can do to mitigate and minimize the chance that you're going to ever end up in a lawsuit and hopefully never end up in a dispute. Of all the uh, joint ventures I have prepared, as far as I know, they've never ended up in court because our clients never said, hey, we got a problem. And I don't think they even ended up in a dispute because if they would have, we would have heard from our clients. So I think that I'm going to assume that what we're doing does really help all the, at least the clients that we're dealing with. And the other gift that I'm happy to give to you is 12 warning signs you're headed for a lawsuit with your partner. Again, I created that 
special document based upon what happened with these uh, matters, these, these partner disputes, because when you read this, you'll see most of the warning signs are there from the very beginning. You don't have to go ahead into it blind. You can, there are things that you will recognize at the very beginning. And if you, a lot of people, when they're trying to bring in a partner, you get a little blind and you're so, you're so anxious to find that person and to get started that you are willing to look past or ignore things that you might have heard, seen, whatever, uh, but you shouldn't. I mean, there, and that's what, that's another reason why working with the right lawyer helps because when I'm the lawyer, I'm neutral. I don't care if you do your deal or not. What I care about is making sure that my clients uh, get into the best joint venture possible and have a minimum chance of future problems. And so if I see something going on at the very beginning, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to tell you about it. It's a lot easier for me to say, I think that you're not really working together that well. That It's very difficult for people who are sitting there side by side to start. They don't like to talk about if they're not happy with what's going on. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We'll put a link to your articles as well as to the books you mentioned. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is, again, something I'm really passionate about. And so I'm really happy to have an opportunity to discuss this with you and your listeners. You can find Jeff's contact information in the show notes. We'll also leave a link to his articles and to the book he recommended. Thank you for listening to this episode of In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. You can reach us at info at in-depthrealestate.com.